Hello everyone, this is Steve Doby with another episode of Rob's Reliability Project. Today we welcome Dylan Day to our podcast. Dylan is a millwright on a reliability journey and is bringing his frontline experience to the conversation to help all maintenance and reliability personnel interact with the frontline better. Prior to listening, I want to make a clarification. Dylan mentions negative reinforcement. What he means by this is constructive criticism, and let's interchange those words when listening, and the clarification is also within the podcast after he says it a couple of times. Additionally, Dylan mentions that a great way for maintenance engineers and reliability engineers to improve their relationship with frontline workers is by getting onto the floor, and he specifically suggests putting on a pair of coveralls and joining the technician's turning wrenches for a day or half a day. I want to put this challenge out there to all the listeners who are in that maintenance and reliability engineering role or anybody who is in that not hands-on tools position. Let's put on some coveralls. Let's schedule some time with our front line workers and their appropriate supervisors to go out and help them out. It doesn't matter if you're just turning turning wrenches or handing tools or if you have a little bit more technical ability, but getting really deep in there. I know for me, this has made a big difference in my career and helping me work with that front line better. And I think it would be helpful for a lot of you listeners as well. And I also want to hear about it. So if you do take my advice and Dylan's advice and you put on those coveralls and you schedule it, give me a shout. Let me know how it goes. Let me know what you thought and I'd love to have you on the podcast to talk about it. Anyways, that's enough from me. Let's listen to the episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Rob's Reliability. Today we've got a special guest. We've got Dylan Day. Welcome to the show, Dylan. So before we jump into our conversation, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, what you've been working on? Sure. My name's Dylan Day. I'm a, I'm an industrial mechanic currently. Um, my background is kind of all over the place. I grew up in a gravel pit and a trucking company. So I've kind of been pulling wrenches since I was a kid. Then I uh, did the military um, sort of in high school as a reservist. And then right as I got out of high school, came out west from Nova Scotia, got into drilling rigs and that sort of thing. And then kind of ended up doing a few different jobs along the way. And uh, I have a background in, I went to school for electrical and then I went to school for welding. And then I, uh, did a few different things between here and there and ended up back as a mechanic, as a millwright. And I've been doing that ever since. So Jack of uh, all trades. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what they say about millwrights in general, right? Jack of all trades. But the guys always use that as a down point. They're like, Jack of all trades, master of none. But we always say better than being a master of one. <laughs> exactly. Sounds like you've uh, kind of worked in a, a bunch of different industries as well. Yeah, yeah, I've been in, involved, especially in the millwright side, from everything from oil and gas and mining to forestry and renewables. So, kind of so, been all over the place. Something I've heard uh, when I was a consultant, traveling all over the places, a lot of people like to say, "Well, you don't know anything because all this, you know, um, this is forestry or this is uh, this is oil and gas. You've only done mining or you've only done this. Like, you you can't possibly understand our industry." Do you find that when you're going to between different places, like what are, what are some of the differences between the industries that you're seeing? 
Um, they're way less than people like to admit. <laughs> they're, uh, they, and this is something that I've actually probably in the last year, especially as I've been trying to get more into the reliability side of things and actually starting to look more into the technical side of everything and not just being the guy on the ground. I'm definitely noticing that a lot of the problems are the same in every industry because realistically, you're running a combination of motor gearbox drive driven, whether that's a conveyor, a chain conveyor, belt conveyor, screw conveyor, anything like that. You're running all the same equipment. So you're running into all of the same sort of issues. And then like realistically, if you put like, if you take a guy from one and then you put him into another industry, like in a pretty short amount of time, he's going to be able to figure out what's going on because a motor is a motor, a gearbox is a gearbox. And everybody likes to say that they're, oh, this only happens in these plants. It's like, no, no, it really doesn't. And I think that's the, that's the thing too. If guys have spent their whole career working at one place, they think that their plant is special. And it's, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, like, your problems are not special to you and they're not inherent to just your environment. And yeah, I, I think people don't really want to admit that. Oh, I know it, it's crazy out there. I've been, uh, I've been in the mining industry for quite a few years now and uh, I've worked at a few different mines and, and even mines within the same company. Um, they think they're, they think they're completely unique and it's, it's funny. So like I was in a, a copper mine up, up in Northern BC and you know, same thing. It's like, oh no, we're not, we're nothing like any of these other mines. Man, it's just, it's just down the road. It's the same conditions. Everything's the same. Like, yeah, you guys have a few unique stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, you're right. It's all just bearings, gears. Um, <laughs> so I do find, um, and so I'm told I am not an electrical person at all, but once you get into the electrical stuff, it uh, starts to be a little more unique. Um, I don't know if you found that yeah so like i said i have a i have a little bit of an electrical background and that comes down to whatever company came in to tile your equipment in so everybody does electrical is one that everybody does a little bit different like if you put a gearbox on like it you typically only goes on one way like if, if you put a coupling in like usually it's marked out it only goes in one way but you go to wire something in and a lot of times, especially when you start dealing with PLCs, there's many different ways to skin a cat and you might find a different combination of a lot of those ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so right now you're working for, for a contracting company, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're, you're not, you don't want to have one home base. You're just kind of jumping around between different projects and yeah, currently it's uh, it's kind of one of those uh, we do a lot of relief maintenance and then we also have some like contract maintenance support runs that are going on and so I could be in northern Alberta like way northern Alberta one day and then get a call to go to like central Alberta the next. So that's kind of where I'm at. It, I go here there and everywhere. And uh I mean it's it's nice, but it's also after a while you're like it's kind of hard to just jump into places sometimes because like you don't know necessarily what what's going on in each place. Cause as much as they're the same, they are, they are also a little bit different. So especially when you have like your bad actors and like, you don't necessarily know what to expect every day. Yeah, for sure. Obviously you're not, you're not at a site that's you're seeing day in and day out. Some of the, I want to ask a bit 
both like the cultural things and uh, what you what maybe you hear from other frontline guys that are there all the time like how is their interaction with their their maintenance and reliability engineering teams and and the the maintenance staff side they don't often get along all that well do you see some good some bad what are your thoughts thoughts there I'm not going to speak specifically to companies, but I'm seeing no, the same no. problems in pretty much all of the all of the same places. So a lot of times, it's a lack of communication, it's a lack of trust, it's a lack of inclusion. It's like it's a lot of you know horse and carrot, fear-driven, time-driven, not listening to any of what your maintenance guys are saying on the ground. So your maintenance guys like inherently are they're disengaged. They, they can't, they cared at one point, but it's really hard when nobody's listening to what they're saying all the time and nobody's willing to put the money in to fix the equipment that they're going out and changing bearings on daily, weekly, like, you know, this shouldn't be happening the way that it is. So I find that's, that's something that's really a big deal. And a lot of these places, like you need to work as a team, like as much as, your engineers and your frontline guys, they have different scopes, but you all come together for like the, to make the plant work in the best way that it can. And until people start working as a team, it's never, never going to happen. What do you think is the easiest way to break down some of those barriers? Get everybody in a room and get them to get to know each other. Like <laughs> actually, actually talk to people listen to what they're saying learn about them like like do you know what do you know what person a's kids are does he does he have kids what what does he like to do what's his passions what's he do outside work what does he love about his job what's the things that like you know there's so many different specialties in the trade like maybe his maybe his passion is troubleshooting and you have him out just like doing heavy bowl work all the time. And the guy that you have doing all your troubleshooting is a guy that would rather be in the shop machining all the time. Like, you know, get to know your guys, get to know their strengths, get to know their weaknesses. And like, that goes both ways. Like it's not just a one-sided conversation. Like the engineer might be the supervisor, but at the same time, like your guy should also know like what kind of music does he like? What does he like to do when he's not at work? Like, where's he from? Like, you know, and all those sort of things, because then you, you stop looking at each other as, like robots in a process and you start seeing each other as the people. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, you know, those team building exercises, we like to, we like to make fun of them, but they are valuable. And um, I, I found too in companies that I've worked for in the past that you do the team building exercise, but you just do it with your direct team. You don't do it with everybody. And so you don't actually build any of that. You don't break down any of those barriers. Um, one of the best things I did, um, so what I was doing a camp job, fly in, fly out and wasn't a huge fan of camp jobs, but you know, having dinner with different people, um, each day, uh, you know, you, you have your normal group that you go and eat with, but every now and again, you work late and you'll have dinner with somebody else or you, know, you go to the gym and you, you see the same people and just having conversations with them there, you know, that went a long way. Um, it's tough on a camp because you can't really get away from it. <laughs> you, you're almost working all the time, but for building those personal relationships, it, it was great that way. So yeah, no, if you can, if you're not working at a camp job, like 
how would you feel if uh, an engineer was like, hey, you want to go grab a quick beer after lunch or after, not after lunch, uh, <laughs> after, after work? And uh, do you think that would help break down barriers or? Oh, 100% I do. And like, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that sort of thing. And, and granted, like, because a lot of the style of work that I've done is camp or out of town or contract maintenance, like I've worked from coast to coast in Canada. And like, I typically get along with a lot of people. And that's because I go and talk to people and I try to get to know people. And like, I don't, I don't care what your role is or what your designation is. Like, let's just get to know each other. Like, I can learn some from you and you can probably learn some from me. So I think that is huge. And especially when, when you're talking about the camp environment, like if your team is not connected to each other, they're going to have a rough go because you spend more time with the people at work than you do with your whole family. So like you need to be connected and that, and that makes people, that makes the camp experience better too. When you're more like a family and less like just workers, you're not as you're not as negatively affected by being there in my opinion and i mean i've worked in camp for a long time <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely you're you're starting to get more into the reliability side um i know you've been doing some work with uh with rob former host of this podcast um <laughs> and how's that going how's that transition between frontline uh technician to trying to take that step into reliability it's definitely it's a it's a learning curve for sure and i mean i've like i got so much to learn like uh you know you think you're it's it's kind of scary at the same time because you go from doing something that you're comfortable with and that you know and now it's like reliability is really tied intrinsically into what like i do on a day-to-day basis just in general and i mean me as a millerite i can make the plant more reliable or me as a millerite i can make the plant less reliable just based on some of the practices that i do at work so there's some baseline understanding there already but it's definitely it's it's hard like because yeah as you know i've been kind of like i'm doing contract maintenance right now but i'm eventually trying to get into more of a reliability centric role and i mean it's hard to break into it when you don't have the background into it, in it. So I'm kind of just taking it as it comes. Um, I'm a, I got signed up as a, I'm a consultant with upkeep. So that uh, we'll see what comes of that. And I'm kind of just learning on the way. And you know, Rob's a great resource and mentor and just an all around amazing human. So I've learned a lot from him and the journey so far has been pretty amazing. So I'm kind of excited to see where, where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think you hit, hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, as a millwright, you have the ability to impact reliability positively or negatively. I think that's a really important fact that we don't always appreciate how much our frontline teams affect it and can affect it. One individual. Is that well understood on with within the group of technicians that you've worked with or is there some people that think ah my job doesn't matter what i'm doing is doesn't add value or anything like that or is that pretty people know that they can create a huge impact for the whole whole operation both (laughs) depends uh depends on the depends on the person and uh i think there's a lot of people that don't realize how much impact they can have 
And I think that comes down to a little to what we were talking about earlier with like the training side of things. And like, I think there needs to be more training and people actually realizing how much impact they can have on an organization. And I think there needs to also be a little bit more feedback from uh, some of the operation side on maintenance. You always hear, you always hear operations get the credit for when things are running really well, but a lot of times you don't hear anybody say anything about the, the mechanical guys that are also in the background making it happen. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, you can't have one without the other, like operations and mechanical that go hand in hand, but you always see one get all the credit and the other one is like the bad guys trying to, that are just trying to make your plant run. Yeah. And I've been trying to, you know, I, I used to say it and I've heard a lot of people say it um, every day. It happens where maintenance is a customer of the operation. You know, I really, you know, the more I think about it, the more I disagree with that. Um, like we're all, we're all one team, right? We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We're trying to improve, improve the operation, move in the case of mining for me, move as much dirt as possible. Um, if you're at a forestry plant, getting as many of those logs through the, through your facility as fast as possible. It doesn't matter what industry it is. There's the goal is always the same and getting everybody's arrows aligned so that we're all working towards that same goal makes a huge difference and then yeah like you said you gotta you know if we can take out some of those barriers we can train the people to understand the other aspects of the business i think that's a huge value you talked about some technicians um, understanding that they impact the reliability of plant others not Uh, training budgets have really gotten slashed in 2020 thinking about how maintenance and reliability personnel can can talk to the frontline technicians. How do you think we can improve that understanding, get technicians to understand the impact they're having without maybe going through a formal training course? Like, do you like to see numbers, uh, KPIs posted on a wall? Do you prefer people just walking around and saying, Hey, this job you did, you know, helped us out here or, you know, most people don't like to hear how their job didn't help, (laughs) didn't do a good job, but. Yeah. So, um, I, I think a couple of different ways that you could go with that. Um, I think both are good. Both have their benefits. Uh, KPIs definitely like, um, lagging or leading indicators are just a visual that people can see, like just something that you can just walk by and notice. And like, that's just something that statically can always be there. And it's just something like when you have a number, I find it makes a difference because people see the number and then they see it either go up or they see it go down. So I think then they understand that they are the ones that are impacting that number. And like I heard, I heard Blair and I think yourself talk about it when you guys were talking with Cody with that stuff that was going on at Toyota, like people were getting into a competition about like who had the better safety record at the end of the day. And with the ergonomic, with the ergonomic exoskeletons. And it's like, yeah, you know what? With these lagging and leading KPIs, like if if guys are able to walk by and see that all the time, then it is going to be competition between like A shift, B shift, C shift, night shift, A shift. Like, especially if it's actually updated and kept current. But then at the same time, yeah, like I notice in a lot of places there there isn't really there there is not QC like at all. So (laughs) I mean 
you don't really have anybody that's coming and telling what you whether you did a good job or a bad job but it's like positive positive reinforcement is amazing but it's also good to have a little bit of negative every once in a while to like be able to look at you know you can do something really well and somebody can tell you that but there might be something that you did in there that like you could improve on and it's always an opportunity for an improvement and then you know you can lead it with this looks really awesome you guys did this really great and then but next time could you do x like whether that's clean a greaser before you grease a bearing which seems <laughs> to be not super common don't um, install it with a hammer <laughs> yeah yeah that's actually a, that's actually a big one and i think that that actually comes down to they touch on it a bit in school wants on two pages <laughs> and like yeah so and, and that comes down to too like you have to if your team is engaged then then they're going to be engaged with everybody around them so then you have the guys that do care about the reliability like like the guys that not necessarily care more i shouldn't have said it like that but the guys that maybe have the higher understanding of the impact that they have if they're if they're engaged and they're feeling empowered to do their job as effectively as they can, well, guess what? They're gonna have that. They're gonna have that sharing that with everybody that's around them because they're gonna be engaged. They're gonna feel confident. They're gonna be happy. They're gonna feel included, and then they're gonna want everybody around them to like do as good as they can as well. So I think it comes down to it has to it has to be a little bit of everything. It has to be from the top. It has to be from the bottom. You don't necessarily need to have formal training, but you you definitely need to uh, you definitely need to enforce like reinforce it both positively and negatively. There's always there's always room for like the criticisms there can be good. I just want to clarify when you're saying negative uh, reinforcement, we're talking uh, probably better to say like uh, constructive criticism. <laughs> Yeah, constructive criticism. That's, that's exactly. I was trying to search for the word and I couldn't think of it at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and yeah, I, you know, it's. I don't think it's well understood everywhere. A lot of people say it, and I know Bob Latino uh, in his book he says it a lot. Is people don't come to work to do a bad job. No, they make the best decisions with the information they have, and sometimes it doesn't work out all that well. And it's far more important to understand why we made decisions we made versus punishing people for making mistakes. So like, you know, when we're looking at constructive criticism, um, obviously if we're sitting there pointing at somebody saying you did this wrong before we understand why, why they did it wrong. Um, do you think having that conversation of saying, look, you know, this didn't actually work out. We had a bunch of rework here. Um, what do you think we could do differently next time to maybe, or, you know, get them involved in the RCA? Do you think that would go a long way as well to getting technicians to buy in a little bit more to the reliability side? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Like get your guys involved in the RCAs. Like to be honest with you, man, I've heard people that like, they don't even know what an RCA is like other than like, they've heard the acronym before, but they don't actually know what it is. And I mean, I love, I love Bob Latino. He's amazing. And like his book's really good. And just it's so, yeah, you need to have your guys involved in that. And I think that's, and I think it's super important to also, when you're going to give a little bit of constructive criticism to, 
exactly what you were saying. Don't just be like, oh, you did really bad at this. Be like, I'm just curious why you did this like this. And that's a way to come at it on a, on a little bit like of a, not an engaging, like not a, uh, and like an aggressive sort of manner, like more of a, just coming at it from a point of understanding, not trying to say that somebody's wrong. Cause I think that's the first thing that happens when somebody like sometimes I've seen this happen in other places. It's like, who worked on this piece of equipment? Like a, a supervisor comes in and they're mad. Who worked on this piece of equipment? And you're like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, and, and then they just start getting mad. And it's like a lot of times, like, exactly what you were saying. Most of the time, guys didn't mean to do it the wrong way. They just either maybe didn't, maybe it was something new to them or they're having a bad day or they just, they made a mistake and everybody's so quick to jump down their throat. Well, all that does is just create an environment that nobody wants to be in. Everybody's disengaged and nobody wants to try. Or, and another one that happens, it's guys are taught from somebody to do it a certain way. And then sometimes that person might be in more of a lead position. And even if they know it's wrong, the lead will be like, I want it done this way because this is the way we've always done it. And that right there is a way to kill everything that's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's great, Dylan. I think that's some really good insight there because I know <laughs> what I, I think engineers are, we're pretty famous for not being very good on the social skills side of things <laughs> and not understanding that. Like I know when I first came out of school, I, walked into my first job and I was like, I know everything. And, you know, you learn pretty quickly that you know nothing. <laughs> Getting that attitude checked a little bit and understanding that, you know what, those guys on the floor, they work on that equipment every day. They know it like the back of their hand compared to you. You've read about it in a book. You've seen the drawings. You look at it from a distance. Like you can get the understanding, but at the end of the day, if you're not pulling it apart, you're not going to understand it to the same level as those guys. So... I think something I wanted to touch on it's, it, I think what would be, I think what would be really cool and I'm not like, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. But what I think would be really neat is like once a month or like once every couple of weeks or something, have an engineer that comes out and spends half a day or a day with the guys, like actually work on the equipment, actually put your hands on it. Like if there's something major going on, come out and check it out, come out and get involved in it see what the guys are actually doing, see what they're struggling with. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get much done on like, it's going to be a day that you're going to kind of burn on office time, but like just the engagement and the understanding that you're going to get from that, in my opinion, would, would probably go a long way. And I've seen guys do it in the past, like guys that are really hands-on engineers that love to learn things. They'll come out, we'd be like pulling something apart. They'd be right in there with us covered in grease. And it's like that right there, like the camaraderie that comes out of that. And then also the understanding on like on, on your guys' end, it's like, yeah, okay, you've seen it on a drawing or you've seen it on a, on a like CAD or model or anything, but like, what's the, maybe there's a, maybe there's a snap ring inside somewhere that's really hard to get out. And that's why that they took the guys an extra hour. Like, you know, you're actually going to see the real problems that go on. Or like I had, I had one recently where we had a, where we had a part come out of the uh, come out of a machine shop, like an actual like like a vendor, and it came out to site, and we went to install it, and it was a it was a it was an inter no 
it was a transition fit, but it was really close to being an interference fit. So it wouldn't go, but it was really tight. And the first thing that I do, do because I typically work on rotating equipment. So I like took my gloves off and I'm like feeling all around all the surfaces to make sure there's no burrs. Sure enough, when they cut the chamfer for where it starts to go and there's a burr the whole way around. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> like if we had to try to install that, it would have like, it would have galled up immediately and would have been stuck. So I just mean like just things like that, like spend time, see what your guys' hangups might be. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic advice. I know, uh, I know I haven't done it enough. Um, in other, when I was up North in BC at the camp job, uh, I did that. Uh, I did a PM. I was working on a big project, uh, trying to revamp some of our PMs. And I did that. I threw on the coveralls for the day and I did a PM with the guys and the amount of buy-in, I like it, you know, you're worried about losing track, uh, falling behind on your office work. But at the end of the day, my job was to improve the availability of these trucks and getting that buy-in from those technicians. And it, it took it miles ahead of anywhere I would have been by spending that day in the office. Um, so yeah, no, that is fantastic advice, Dylan. And I hope, I hope more, maintenance and reliability engineers that are, are hearing this uh, really heed that advice and do what they can to get on that floor, put on some coveralls, obviously union agreements uh, pending um, or yeah. whether or not they allow for it, but most allow for some type of um, interaction there where you can go on the floor and do some of the work with the guys or even just assist, hand them tools, just go to the dirty places with them and, uh, and uh, see what they're dealing with understand it all a little bit better what they're doing so yeah that's fantastic advice and i hope people really listen to that i've said it three times now so <laughs> now to tell me what you know where you're hoping to go like i know you've been kind of searching for that that place a little bit to put down maybe a little more roots and uh, get into more of the reliability roles how's that look going i've definitely had some engagement back i'm just kind of i'm kind of looking for the Currently, I'm just looking for the right spot. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, a lot of times you, people are so quick to like, and I and myself included, like sometimes I'm so quick to just jump on like whatever the first thing that pops up is. And like, now I'm more trying to find the spot that is going to work for me. So, I mean, I'm definitely looking more at like whether it's, uh, I'm kind of open to a bunch of different ways that it could look, whether it's through the planning side of things or getting more into like a, like a condition-based monitoring sort of role, that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's also with right now, the state of the country with the pandemic, it's, uh, it's not necessarily like there's not as many openings as there usually are. So it's, it's going, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the right thing's going to happen eventually. So I'm, I'm confident that something's gonna, that I'm going to find the right, the right place for me. And, uh, until then, I'll just keep kind of doing what I'm doing, keep learning, keep engaging with people. I mean, it gives me more time to make webinars and stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the consult, a little bit of consulting works. Uh, it's fun and it's, it's definitely a good way to increase your, your knowledge of things. Like, that's why I'm doing the podcast. It's uh, like, not like there's money in podcasts, um, at least maintenance and reliability ones. It's all about, you know, talking to people like you and going on that learning journey and understanding 
you know, and in this case, what I can do to make, to connect better with technicians and how we can improve that, uh, improve that communication back and forth and ultimately improve our equipment reliability. Um, so yeah, no, that, that's great. And I'm just curious though. So I know we have lots of like, um, maintenance managers and things like that. They do listen to to the podcast. Somebody like you, I think would be pretty appealing, but what, what is something that people can do to make their workplace more appealing to, to guys like you that really care about, care about the equipment, care about the reliability, care about um, doing the job right? What would make you want to work there? Definitely an engaging uh, and a culture of engagement. Uh, a leadership team that doesn't believe in fear-based leadership tactics, more like the, the like, you know where I'm going to go with this more the leadership 2.0 style of <laughs> style of things like actually being inclusive, listening to the people that are around you and wanting to engage with them. That's definitely really important in my opinion. Actually, when you say that safety is number one, mean it another one, not just when production is doing really great. Um, also training, man, like training, training, training. If you have guys that are coming in that want to get their ultrasonic or I mean ultrasound or vibration or things like that, like allow them to do it, empower them to do it because the more your guys understand ultra, like if they understand vibration at more than just a base level, they're also going to understand how it affects equipment. So they might not be the guy going around taking readings all the time, but because they understand vibration, they're going to understand what bad vibration does or you know, with like another one is greasing and lubrication, like ultrasound, like ultrasound, man. <laughs> like, oh, why are you doing it without it? Like, that's crazy. But yeah, so I think I think for, I think Blair's gonna appreciate that plug. <laughs> oh man, I was uh, I was talking the other I was talking the other day about their new uh, that new disposable auto luber that they have that's like that like has the probe on it. Like, that's amazing. It's like. <laughs> I was trying to teach a, a, a lube tech the other day on why you shouldn't just keep greasing until grease comes out of the bearings. But <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I think definitely having a, having an inclusive and safe like work environment and like, and I don't just mean safe as in like, you're not going to get hurt, like psychologically safe where people are able to come to you with ideas and come to you with suggestions and be able to be heard. That's a big one. Like actually listening to what people are saying to you not just looking at them smiling and nodding, but like, you're not actually listening. Cause yeah. we know, we know what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, something I do in every, every job interview that I've had, at least for the last, last few jobs, um, I've asked, I've asked that question in the interview, what is your leadership style? And, you know, it, trying to find out, cause I've worked for those people that are, that don't have psychological safety. I've worked for those people where they don't want you to speak up uh, about anything. They just want you to go there, do your job and be quiet. And that type of job is, and that type of leadership isn't for me. I had a terrible time there. And so, yeah, no, you need to, that's the other thing about interviews and, and uh, that people don't understand is you're also interviewing the company to see if you want to work there. And I'm really glad to hear that you're taking your time and, you know, um, having conversations with lots of different people there to understand exactly what what you're looking for and ultimately be happy in the job because nobody wants to go to work and hate the job they have right yeah for sure and I think we've all been there it's uh and like to be honest with you like 
it's one of those things where if I'm in an environment where, you know, when you do an interview, sometimes though, like places will sound really awesome. And then like you get out of the interview and you actually show up on the ground and it's like, well, the person that interviewed you might not be your direct supervisor. And all of a sudden your direct supervisor is a guy that is super aggressive and in your face. And if something goes sideways, it's not super great. And I mean, I'm going to say the advice that I was given at one time and uh, it's really good advice. Leave. If that's what you're dealing with, just leave. Because at the end of the day, if everybody does that, it's going to give, it's going to, it's going to send a really clear message to whatever management team is inside of an organization. If all of a sudden you have six technicians that just walk off a job, why did all six just leave? Yeah. And I guarantee you if one guy wants to leave, they all want to leave. And a lot of times these people are scared to, and they go to management and management won't listen to them. And then I've seen that happen time and time again. It's like, Oh, guys will say something about a supervisor and then they get fired. And it's like, well, you did not solve the problem. The person was not the problem. Yeah. Like he, he needed, he was trying to, he was, he was being courageous and coming to you and letting you know that there was a problem and you just totally made it. So nobody will ever talk to you about anything again. And I think that you, if you actually looked at that, I bet you, you would see a correlation between like reliable equipment and, uh, and good management and unreliable equipment and bad management. Yep. Absolutely. Nobody, we need more people to do that math and publish some articles on that. So <laughs> Ryan Chan, Ryan Chan, here you go. Here's one for you. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, and so we've been ch- chatting for a good little while. We're, uh, we're kind of at the end of the show, but I've got a few minutes left for you. If you've got any plugs or, um, so, well, first of all, how can people find you if they want to get in contact with you? Obviously, you're doing some consulting work through Upkeep, um, and people can, of course, contact contact me or Blair, and we can get you in touch with Dylan as well if you're interested in, in some of that work from from you. But is there any other way that you'd like people to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, sure. There's uh, You can look me up on LinkedIn, Dylan Day. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on there. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of those. Um, I am definitely, I am also on uh, upkeep.org backslash connect. That's where you can find uh, me and a couple other maintenance experts on there that are able to do some consulting. And then also you can usually find me romping around in the, uh, in the slack, the maintenance community on Slack. And if you're not a member of that, you definitely should be. It's a, it's a group that was started by Upkeep, and uh, there's we got like over I think 3,200 people globally now. So it's definitely a really good environment for, and I advise everybody to to get involved in it because it's it's a place where you can find industry experts and people that are just like frontline guys, management, everything, and it's just a it's an environment where you can come and get together and learn. And I think that's it. That's important. Trying to empower everybody on a global level. It's pretty great. There's uh, webinars put on by tons of experts and some of them by industry people themselves. And there's always something to learn. And it's a, it's a pretty great spot to, to come and, uh, and hang out. Yeah, that's awesome, Dylan. Yeah. And re- thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I think uh, you've, you've given us some valuable insight and I hope, hope people can take it and start applying it right away. Um, this is definitely stuff we've talked about can be, apply tomorrow after you listen to the podcast. So thanks for being on the show and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Hey, awesome. Thanks for having me. It was really great. It's my first podcast. So that was awesome. (laughs) Awesome.